This is a Podfire production. This podcast may include explicit themes or swearing and may not be suitable for children. G'day guys and welcome to Awesome Humans COVID-19 edition. We're still in lockdown and we're still doing this via Zoom. So if there's any problems with the, uh, the sound, I do apologise in advance. During these difficult times, we're trying to bring you the biggest and brightest humans we can off this amazing planet of ours. We're trying to give you some stories to keep you entertained whilst you're all locked away in isolation. So stay tuned because we've got some pretty cool stories coming up. Today's podcast, I'm joined by Heather Maltman. She's an actress, a writer, a director, and a podcast host. Never had the choice to be the first woman on the moon at the age of five. Can't wait to hear about that. But instead decided to become an actress knowing she could do more than just be an astronaut. Heather rose to fame very quickly on season three of probably my favourite show on television, The Bachelor. Uh, but she didn't receive that end rose and then she moved on. While Sam Wood may not have picked her, the Australian audience was quick to see, God, there's some crap that I say here, I do apologise, more lovable <laughs> than just the girl next door. From hosting breakfast radio shows nationally with Osha, oh, he's one of my favourite humans, to being a panellist on Studio 10 and the project and even having her own show with comedian Joel Creasy. She now hosts her own podcast series called Maltman Lab. Uh, and that's her in over nine countries worldwide, so that's pretty exciting. I'm so excited about today. I really am. Welcome, Heather. How are you? Oh, thanks, mate. I'm I'm good. It's nice to know that my biography really is uh, it's doing what it can, you know. I look I, some <laughs> of it's <laughs> What's the astronaut bit? Well, you know when they say to you, write a biography about yourself, and you just go, I'm so average, I have no idea what to say. Like, I was so embarrassed about having to write a biography about myself that I was like, you know what, fuck it, I'm just going to say that I was I was an astronaut and then, you know, work my way down from there. I love it. Um, yeah. No, I've, always, I've actually always had a fascination with the moon and um, conspiracies around the moon and stuff like that, so I don't know. It was kind of a, an amalgamation of my own version of crazy versus my own version of, I don't know, humility and feeling like, oh, I'm so put on the spot to talk about myself. Oh, well, this will be a fun ride then. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be, this is going to be interesting because I'm, oh, I hate talking about myself. I get so awkward. Like, I'm sweating behind my knees. I didn't oh, even know you could do that. Knee sweat. That's yeah, knee impressive. sweat. Nice, yeah. nice. Yeah. Okay, so the other thing that I pick out of this, and I'm always one of those things that pick things out of the bios. Obviously, we, we saw you on The Bachelor. Um, I actually am one of the only people in the world that got diagnosed by my doctor to watch The Bachelor. What do you mean? True story. My doctor told me I had to watch car crash TV. Things I have to think about. This is a very true story. And that I had to watch something that I didn't have to actually think about to slow my brain down and my ADD or whatever I've got to slow down. And she said, like, The Bachelor. And I'd never watched it. I then watched it. And actually, I I really, really enjoyed it. It gets me all hyped up. So it doesn't work from the uh, slow down piece. But... uh, (laughs) <laughs> but that's it. And then the other thing I got here is I actually want to be Osha Gunsberg. Oh, I think everyone aspires to be Osha because he's such a genuinely good person. Like how and can you like Is he like that in real life? Yeah. Every every sense of what you see on TV and hear on radio is him in human form. Like He's when we worked together on air because um, we obviously did Bachelor together and he dumped me, um, which was horrific, <laughs> and I'll never forgive him. No, uh, but like when we did radio together, um, I'll never forget that experience because it was the first 
white male that I'd worked with who owned the fact that because he was a white man and he was straight, he automatically came from privilege. He was the first man that I'd worked with who acknowledged the fact that because I was a woman, I was going to be less heard than he was. Um, and he was also the first man that I'd worked with who taught me a very serious lesson in supporting your co-host. And I, I just, I walked away from that job going, holy crap, like I have a lot of work to do in order to be in this industry to the level that he's in the industry. So, yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. Mm, massively. Just such an even-keeled human. That's awesome, isn't it? Well, I'm, I'm happy now because he's like I thought he'd be. Anyway, moving on. This is not about Osha. This isn't the Osha, the awesome human. This is Heather, the awesome human. So, uh, the first question I always ask people is, what's your first ever memory? How far back can you go? Other than obviously the astronaut thing, which was a <laughs> We've had lies up front, but anyway. <laughs> um, okay, do you want first ever memory or most like meaningful slash touching? Because No, nah, first. First, Okay. This is going to sound like a lie, but I swear to God, I can remember being a, a baby human being in my birth mother's arms. I swear to God, I can remember it. I just feel like I remember her face looking at me for the first time. It's really fun, like super, super fuzzy, but it's like all I can remember is a big fuck off light in my eyes and just her face. Wow. Very, very, it's very fuzzy, but that's literally it. In a nutshell, that's all I remember from it. It's very quick. And if I think on it really hard, I can see it again, but it, it goes within an instant. And can you, can you make out who the person is? No. like or you I just think know like, of who the person is? It's more like, um, you know how they say in psychology that we add our emotions to a circumstance later in life as we grow older, we yeah, go, like oh, a picture was, or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which is why um, witness testament, testimony isn't credible anymore because it, it changes as we evolve. Yeah. This memory in my mind, it's like I look back on it and I know at the time I had no idea who, what, when, where, why, but um, as I've gotten older, I place, oh, I know that face because it came from here or I know that moment yeah. because it felt like this and I know I was safe or I felt safe because I felt safe like that with her since. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. Like, yeah, in terms of a memory, it's like quick and it's almost meaningless but I've added all this meaning to it as I've gotten older. That's pretty cool. And what about your first touching memory then? First touching memory would be... Um, when I was 18, I met my birth father for the first time since I was a really little kid. Sorry, my I was gone tingly. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, he uh, he left my life when I was about. Um, sorry, the cat wants to be involved. <laughs> cat now, Chandler. It's that cat, it's that cat lady thing coming out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, buddy, you need to shush. Um, yeah, we uh, we met, and he was telling me this story about the first time. Um, I hurt myself really badly with him because we, he only had like visitations with my sister and I. He didn't actually get to raise us. And um, I have the exact same memory, which is really strange. And we both remember it almost identically. It was oh, just, wow. Yeah, it's it was mind-blowing, the fact that we both have this moment. And um, anyway, the memory is we were at Wellington Park, which is this really beautiful beach park up in um, Brisbane. And I'd been climbing these big trees that are there. They're huge. And um, all the kids would climb them except for me. I'd always get really, really nervous and I didn't want to get dirty. So 
anyway, um, I end up climbing them for the first time. I fell out of the tree and I cut my knee open. And he said, normally, like, you know, a little girl cuts her knee, you expect her to cry and scream and get really emotional. And he said, but you didn't. You just walked over, you grabbed my trouser leg on the corner and you tugged on it. And he goes, I looked down and you had blood just gushing out of your knee. It was a big cut. It wasn't little. Yeah. And you didn't cry. You didn't shed a tear. You just tugged on my jeans. And I grabbed out a handkerchief and I held it on your knee. And we just sat there together. And we just sat there. And he goes, you didn't shed a tear. And that kind of encapsulates me, I guess, as a woman. It's like it takes a lot to make me cry. And if you get me there, like... Yeah, it's it's hard for me to come back from. I don't like crying in front of people and I don't like showing that kind of weakness. So Is it weakness? Well, it depends. If you're being bullied and they see you cry, I believe it's seen as weakness. So yeah. I try really hard or I work really hard not to cry in front of people. But if it's just like an everyday thing, then no, of course it's not a weakness. But unfortunately, my brain is wired to think it's a weakness and therefore... I struggle with it. It's it's one of my ongoing battles, I think. So do you get emotional when you talk about like, and obviously we're about to go there, so um, <laughs> about sort of your childhood and things like that? Is do you, do you find you get the point where you're emotional but you don't actually let it out? Is that is that the is that the heather? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's yeah, it's it's hard. It's like. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I think it probably depends on how much sleep I've had. (laughs) Fair call. I guess yes and no is probably the answer. Okay. So where were you born? Let's go back to the very beginning. Where were you born? Hmm. Born in Brisbane at the Royal Martyr Children's Hospital, if that's what it's called. Yeah, it is, yep. Yeah, that one. Yeah, I was born there. Okay, and and did you grow up in Brisbane or you said your birth mother and your birth father, so obviously that changed? Yeah, so I grew up in Brisbane, um, uh, moved around a lot. I probably moved 16 times before I turned 12. That doesn't include living on the street and in caravans and cars. Um, My father left our lives when I was about nine months old and I saw him on and off till I was about five. Um, And unfortunately, a lot of it was due to the fact that my birth mother had a mental illness. And I say birth mother and father because when I turned 30, I met, uh, well, I mean, I met a couple when I was like in my early 20s who eventually became like my adopted parents. Yeah. So, you know, I call them mum and dad. I love them like a mother and a father. They care for me like a daughter. Um, We have that relationship. So you're going to just let you know, I do cry. So Let's, okay. let's just let you know that. Uh, I, it's, that that's awesome, yeah. though, especially at such a late age as well. Like, yeah, yeah. Definitely. And so, so take me back when when you were a kid, mm. and and you mentioned that you had you lived on the streets, and you, your mum had a um, or your birth mother, sorry, had a uh, a mental illness. Was that known at the time? No, we didn't. We didn't actually find out about her mental health struggles until I was about eighteen. Oh wow! So, yeah. So I just grew up thinking this is normal. This is how things are. And everyone must have the same troubles that we have. Um, But yeah, it was, it it was a very strange life. Like looking back, I realized how weird it was. But at the time it just felt really normal. You didn't know any different. No, exactly. Like I thought, okay, we've got to pick up and leave because someone's trying to kill us. So we pack up everything, jump in the car and we take off. 
or she'd come and pick us up from school in the middle of the day and the principal would run around begging her not to take us out of school um, and she'd throw us in the car in an absolute frenzy and we would drive to the police station and we could see the police trying to get us to say, yep, um, there's something wrong with our mother, but we just thought, oh, you're part of this this yeah. group of people that are trying to kill us, so we can't talk to you. You're not a safe person to talk to. So, you know, we'd shut up really quickly. Um, and then, unfortunately, at home, obviously, because of her mental illness, it meant that we were um, exposed to men who were very abusive as well. So, yeah. yeah, it was it was a very tumultuous upbringing and very strange. And it wasn't until I was 18 and a doctor said to me, this is what the problem is, that I went, Oh my God. And it all drops. just made. Yeah, totally. And it was it was quite fascinating actually because again, it's like so many memories from my childhood are like these weird snippets, but I just remember him telling me the diagnosis and from memory, and I don't know if this is true or not, but this is what I remember. I just got up from my chair and I just walked out of the room and I walked down these long corridors until I got outside the Rabina Mental Health Wing. And I walked out to the front lawn of the hospital and I just remember kneeling on the grass and just staring, like, for a really, really long period of time because in that moment I realised, like, you know, we grew up believing that our birth father was this horrible man and that he'd been terrible to us and he was trying to kill us and that he was really abusive and everything else. And in that one moment, everything that I knew was a lie. Wow. Yeah, like it was just a complete fabrication, like it was just made up. I'd been living in a fantasy. So when you saw your, your birth father during the, the visits, mm. so he obviously was, would have tried to tell you stuff and yes. then you go back into the home and mm. all that's been poo-pooed and, and thrown out the window, really. Is well, that the, the way it worked? Kind of, but the beautiful thing about Humphrey, that, that was his name, um, which best name ever. Uh, Humphrey. He... Humphrey, yeah. I love it. Like Bee Bear, right? Yeah. How good, so cuddly. Um, he was six foot four, actually, and a, a fantastic British man. He was a pilot. Um, but the, the beautiful thing about his nature is he was very soft and very kind. And so when we were kids, he never trashed our mother to us. Yeah. When we went for visitations, he didn't talk smack about her. He didn't tell us what a terrible person she was or anything like that because he was very aware of the fact that after that weekend we would have to go back to her again. Yeah, And he didn't want to lose visitation with us because, you know, in the 80s, um, men didn't have as much right to the children as what they have now. And even now they don't have much right. Yeah, of course. So it's very difficult. Um, so he was always very conscious of that. And it wasn't, it literally wasn't until this doctor said to me, this is what's wrong with your birth mother that I went, oh, my God, everything makes so much sense now. So you're on your knees on the lawn at Rabina and <laughs> yeah. you must have like 18 years worth of thoughts going through your head. Yeah. You must, you must, you must have, oh, my God, what did I miss out on? Oh, my yep. God, why was I subject to that? Oh, my yep. God, like um, uh, it's just unknown. It's all the unknown. Like yep. what am I out on? What, what, why, why did this happen to me? And did you go into the, the self-blame culture then? Did you go, well, why did I do this earlier? Why, yeah. like my fault? Yeah, 100%. I think every child does when it comes to a split within the home and especially around mental illness. If you're a child and you're raised by someone who has mental illness, you automatically think you did something wrong. You, yeah. or you, it's just, 
unless you're a narcissist, it's hard not to feel that way. Yeah, so I don't feel that way as any human being. Um, but yeah, it was it. It was kind of my. I just remember my first thought being, you know, uh, you know, the the lying side of it, and then being, I have to find this man now. I have to find my father. I have to find out what really happened because now I know that the story is wrong. And I looked at it and it's like, it was so weird because as a kid, her story about him and who he was would change so drastically all the time as I grew up. And I never thought about it that that was called lying. I just yeah. thought that was someone recollecting more information about it because mm. she always told us that, you know, she was being drugged by this cult that was trying to kill us and all this crazy stuff, you know, and I look back on that now and I'm like, oh, like that, that's called lying, Heather. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it was. Um, and then uh, how long since you'd seen him when you found this out? Well, the last time I remember seeing him I was about five. So 13 and, years. Yeah, and I was 18, yeah, because the minute, the minute it all happened I was like, I have to find him, and so I went and looked for him. So during this time between five and 18, how many schools did you go to? Uh, luckily, I only went to three. Mm-hmm. Um, my older sister only went to two. Um, I and think- how were how you treated? Because I know there's a lot of kids, like my, my wife works at a primary school and some of the some of the kids there, like, they get bullied, they can't afford lunch, they can't do this, and there's some amazing people in the world that just help these kids, right? And yeah. they, But the biggest problem is knowing that they're going home to where they're going home to. And I think that that happens a lot is in the fact that you can help someone to the point where um, they, but they're still going to go home to the same house. So they're still going back to the same environment. So during that time, were you treated differently by the other kids? Oh, massively, massively. I mean, I only had a very select amount of friends and any time a friend came over for a sleepover, because I didn't know that my house was weird. I didn't know that it was weird to have, like, 20 cats and the house smell like urine. Yeah. And I didn't know that it was weird that we didn't have clean clothes. And I didn't know that it was weird that the kitchen was always a mess. And I didn't know that it was weird that my mother hoarded stuff. And I didn't know that it was weird that we had concrete floors and housing commission houses and all this stuff. I thought that everyone lived that way yeah. until I started going to their houses and went, oh, okay, well, this isn't how it is at my house, but this dinner is delicious. Thank you for cooking so that I didn't have to. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it was like um, they'd come over and as soon as they saw what my life was like and they told their parents, that friendship was over. Really? Oh, yeah. And I had a very select few amount of people at school that ever cared about me, liked me, had my back or never teased me. Um, yeah, it was a very small group of people. And you're still friends with those people today? No, I'm not friends with anyone from um, primary school. In that part of your world, yep. No, no. And I, uh, part of that is my doing and part of that I think is their doing. My part in it is that it's too hard. Yeah, When I see them, it it reminds me of what it was like when I was a kid. Um, And part of it is they're doing in that, you know, they didn't fight hard enough to keep me in their life, you know. Like I got bullied so badly that it was just easier to to leave. And I even had one of the biggest bullies at school. I'll never forget her, Kylie. She she told me that if I went to the high school of the primary school we were all going to that she was going to bash me after class. So I was like, 
I might go. Uh, yeah, go to a different school. <laughs> peace out, bitches, yeah. And the only kid that, honestly, I probably would have stayed in touch with after primary school finished, um, unfortunately, he died in a car accident. So. Oh, so. Yeah, I'll never forget him, Gary Haynes. He was a really, really good kid. He was about, he came up to my ribs <laughs> and, and he had the most amazing mum and we were in every pastoral care class together and, unfortunately, he was in a car accident and, um yeah, I was gutted when he died because he was one of the only kids at school that had never bullied me. He was never mean to me. Um, he was just this really nice young boy. Yeah, and I've never forgotten his name and I've never forgotten how And kind. how old was he when he passed away? Well, I was in year seven. Okay, so 12 or 13. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It was the last year, of high, uh, last year of primary school at the time. So. so you then went on to high school, same yep. thing? Oh, yeah. High school was 10 times worse. I started out being reasonably popular, but the popular girl in the group wanted me to tease my older sister. And when I said no, I was outcast. And then, um, yeah, they just, they teased me so badly. I actually stopped going to school for about eight months of year eight. Um, I just stayed in bed. I would cry and freak out. And that's when I started developing really bad anxiety about going to school um, and about leaving the house. I the only time I would leave is when I went to work on a horse farm down the road and I'd work with polo ponies and that was about it. That was my life for about eight months. And, wow. Uh, yeah, it was it was tough. Pretty fucked up, really, when you when you think about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the te- that's the technical term for it. <laughs> but, but it's like also a logical term. <laughs> <laughs> but but it also proves that you don't know people's story. And it proves that there's all these kids that get bullied and stinky and all these different people that you sit there and you've got no idea what they're going through. You've got no idea what they're going home to and all that sort of stuff. And and like, I've got four kids and my kids are very privileged children and that's because that's the way we brought them up and that's 100% our fault. But at the same time, um, I have the ability to do that, so I do. But at the same time, each of my kids also learn the fact that they don't know. They don't know the story of the kid that hasn't come to school for eight months in year eight and why she hasn't come. And my kids have suffered from anxiety. My kids have suffered from other things as well. And we've been there to help them and get them through it. And and I've, I've got two young daughters as well, and they're in year 11 and year 12. And even just the staff, like they're great kids. They've got great friends and stuff. But seeing some of the stuff that some of those girls go through, Firstly, hats off to you right now because to come through the other end of it is amazing. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, I mean, the thing that I always invite young kids to think about when it comes to bullying and stuff like that, if you are the victim of it, is to remember, like you said about, you know, you don't know what people go home to. Bullying is a learned behaviour. It's been, it's something that a woman over in WA has been working on for years is working out how do we create create bullies in society and it has shown that it comes from an adult teaching the child how to do it you don't mean to teach them how to do it it happens by accident it happens because you have it within your personality and your behavioral traits and therefore the child learns it and then they go to school and they do it to their friends or they do it to the people within their groups and so when you look at someone who's bullying especially someone who's aggressively bullying or is violent in their behavior you have to question what is that child then going through at home for them to be that way you know like one of the kids that was bullying me in primary school she was she was violent like physically violent and her brother was going through leukemia at the time 
and her and I had started out as friends and then when he um, got really sick and passed away, she just turned on me and would punch me, she'd push me. Wow. Yeah, like next level. And we went from being best friends to that kind of treatment. And while I while it hurt at the time, every time I went home and spoke to my family about it, I always knew in the in the bottom of my heart, like she's acting out because she's mad at the universe for taking her brother. It's not even about me. Yeah. And, so, and it's yeah. it's learned, it's learned behavior. It's um, yeah. I, I had the pleasure last year of publishing a book, and then as part of that, and that was just about failure and stuff. But I've got a new book coming out, and it's called "Kids Aren't Born Assholes; They're Taught to Become Assholes." And, <laughs> and the the thing is, it talks about that stuff about people actually being parented, and and that if you don't actually parent your kids, then they're going to actually learn these learned behaviors. Yeah. If, if you're a racist and you sit there and use the N-word towards a, a, a coloured man, your yeah. kid's going to do the same thing. Yeah. You, you see these kids screaming and spitting on people and stuff like that. They don't just do that because no. they, they, that's, they've learnt it. Yeah, and exactly. These, these learned behaviours are disgusting. And, but at the same time, you don't know everyone's story. You don't yeah. know why. You don't know all that sort of stuff. And like you said, you know, mental illness it wasn't even known about back then really. No, the particular mental illness that um, my birth mother had um, wasn't even considered an illness on its own until, like, the late 80s. Really? So she went through her entire childhood without being able to be diagnosed because it was considered to be something else and so they weren't able to really care for her. So even if she'd gone to therapy, which was never going to happen because she was abused herself as a child, Uh It wouldn't have even been dealt with the way it needed to be. So wow, yeah, it's yeah. um, it's it's a tough childhood, mate. And as I say, congratulations, you made it. <laughs> Came out the other side. You somewhere. did, you did. <laughs> so okay, let's go. We're eighteen. We're on the lawn. We're thinking. Okay, okay what we're going to do? I'm going to find this bloke. And where's the first phone call? How do you do that? Oh, it actually ended up being a lot easier than I thought. I just picked up a Yellow Pages back in the days of the the Yellow Pages. Yeah, I know, right? Um, And I just uh, looked up his last name, uh, Maltman, and obviously I knew his initial was H. There were three H Maltmans in the Brisbane Jindalee area, and I knew that's where I'd sort of grown up with him. So I was like, I don't think he would have moved from that space because I knew he had a business in that particular vicinity. Um. And then I looked at, you know, the three people that existed with H. Maltman and I was like, okay, I'll pick the one that's just a H on its own, doesn't look married because I'll I'll try that one first and there was only one. So I was like, all right, I'll try that one first, the the only H. Maltman in the yellow pages and it turned out it was him. So you ring him and what do you say? Um, Well, Do you remember remember the phone call? Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, I called and he picked up and... um, he answered, hello, Humphrey Maltman speaking. <laughs> um, and it's funny because whenever I answer the phone, I answer it very similarly, like, which is, uh, hi, this is Heather Maltman, how can I help you? And I sort of have a very similar greeting to him. Anyway, uh, I'm getting, I, I ramble sometimes when I'm uh, nervous. Emotional. Yeah, I just, I get weird about it. That's um, okay. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I, oh, he... He said that and then I go, oh, hi, um, hi, yeah, okay. I was like, hi, I'm really sorry um, to bother you. I um, was just wondering, um, 
did you um, ever marry a woman named such and such? And I yeah. don't say her name, obviously, because no, I just... of course not. Yeah. Um, and he said, yes, I did. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, did you um, ever, you know, have two children to her? Um, and he goes, yes, I did. And it was like just this huge pause. And I was like... Oh, okay. Um, by any chance, were there um, names um, Jasmine and Heather? And the silence went for ages, just like this big pause. And he's just gone, yes. And I was like, oh, okay. Hi, I'm your daughter, Heather. And he just sobbed, like grown wow. man sobbing. And it was weird because I was, I didn't know it at the time, but I was really broken that he was so broken. But what I felt in the moment of him crying was just anger. Like I was so angry because I was like, you don't get to cry. You don't get to yeah. cry. Because I'm the one that needed a father, not you. So you don't get to cry here. But I look back on it and I realise I was I was very hurt that he was so broken about it because I didn't realise that he, at that time that he didn't have a choice in raising us. I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, so you were still blaming him at the time. Yeah, I felt like he abandoned us and just mm. gave up. I didn't, I didn't know everything that I was out to find out. Wow, what a phone call. Yeah, it was really heavy. It was really heavy. Like I'm getting a headache now just talking about it because it was such a pivotal moment in my life to call him because, you know, we'd grown up thinking that this man had abused us and was trying to kill us. Mm. Here I am calling him just going, hey, what's up? Like literally <laughs> afraid that I'm putting myself in harm's way. Yeah. I'm afraid I'm now telling this person who I am and where I am because we'd believe that he could tap phones, that he had people on the ground chasing us, that he controlled the police. And I'm just calling him, you know, believing this um, doctor over my mother for the first time. It was very, very we bizarre. Were still living at home at the time? No, we had been living at a home since the age of 16. I went around the world with my sister mm-hmm. um, and we did that. I look back now and realise we did that because we knew something was wrong. Yeah. If we didn't get out, we were probably going to end up in the same circumstance as our mother. Um, but... Yeah, we, we went around the world together and she got worse and she actually went missing for a long period of time. And she was actually missing for the entire time that I was on The Bachelor, which is why I had no family on the show. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was it, it was just really hard to navigate, you know, whether or not I was safe even speaking to him. And I think the only reason why I thought that I was is because it just gets to a point where you're like, this story is too crazy for it to be true. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. So... During all this time and during school and all that sort of stuff, did you have like an aim and ambition? Did you did you want to do something? What did you other than being an astronaut? Obviously, did you want, <laughs> did you want to um, did you want to be an actress? Be a director? What where, what what did a young Heather want to do? I've always wanted to work in entertainment ever since I was really little. It was my escape. Um, my two favourite performers that were male growing up were Jim Carrey and Robin Williams may he rest in peace I 
would watch him in Flubber and just be like, I want to do that. And I would watch Jim Carrey in movies and think, oh, I wish you were my dad. I just wish you were my father. I wish I could be raised by you. And in terms of female performers that I loved, it was only Magna Savansky. And I always wished that she was my mom because I felt like she understood me better than anyone. And I... (laughs) I used to like play out these scenarios with my Barbie dolls where she was actually my mother and I'd been adopted. Um, Yeah, and the day that I got to interview her on radio, I actually fell to pieces and couldn't even speak. I was so besotted by her, which she thought was crazy. Did you tell her why? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, I didn't tell her about the Barbie story because she blocked me. But I did message her later on social media, which she didn't respond to, which I don't blame her. Like, I would have been like, hey, crazy fan, go away now. Um, but I did message her on social media and just say, thank you so much for being so gracious and, and so kind in a, in a moment where I was obviously being a bit uh, bit too much. I was a bit much. Um, Fair enough, too. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I always wanted to be in performance. And in primary school, the only way I could make friends was when I wrote little plays. I write out these little plays for Easter and Christmas and, you know, big, um, holiday events and the kids would have to be cast in it and the teachers would give me the spare room between the classrooms to go yep. and cast for it and they'd all audition and then they'd get to play roles and at the end we'd hand out chocolate or we'd hand out presents or whatever it was and it was a lot of fun and um, you know my primary school teacher in year five um, I can't remember her name but she used to always say like you have potential here to turn this into a career Heather like you should look into it and see if it's something you want to do. And I'm so glad I did because I, I love it. I mean, it's um, it's a very skewed industry and it's um, a bit intense at times and I have kind of taken the last sort of eight months off since doing the radio show because some stuff happened that wasn't great for me in the industry, but I do hope to get back to it again. Okay. you always got to follow your passion. You'll bounce back from that. you bounce back from everything else, so of course you'll bounce back from this one. <laughs> Yeah, that's... <laughs> so, so you speak to this bloke, you're telling me that you're his daughter, mm-hmm. he breaks down. Do you then on that phone call say, can we meet? Because that would be uh, hard. He wanted to meet straight away. I said I needed time um, and I think it took me about six months to actually organise our first sort of meeting in human form. It, mm-hmm. it, took, me, it took me a while. Um, and what was that day like? I was really nervous. You yourself, wouldn't you? Oh, yeah, I was packing it hard. <laughs> like there were skid marks for days. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, I had more knee sweat then than I did now. <laughs> uh, I actually had a guy that I was really close with at the time take, take me um, and I'll never forget or, you know, let that go. Like that was an amazing thing that he did for me because we weren't really together at the time. Um, but, yeah, he drove me and... We got there and it was still him. It was the same man I remembered from when I was a kid. He had the same smell and the same stature and it was wild. It was just like, I, I, can't, I can't describe it to you. It was wild. It was just like, yep, this is the same person. And I let him hug me, which was hard. Of course. Um, and it, the weird thing was is every time I tried to fight not having him in my life, hey, buddy, I couldn't <laughs> stop thinking, <laughs> um, you don't know how long you'll have this man in your world. He could Is die. He leave again. Well, mm. more like I had this fear that he was going to die. I just constantly oh, wow. had this fear that he was going to die. And I was like, Chan Long, come on, mate. Calm down. Um, 
I just constantly had this fear that he was going to die and I felt neurotic for thinking it, but it was just a weird feeling I had. And I just would make myself tell him I loved him and I would make myself call him dad and I would make myself hang out with him and spend time with him. And it was weird because when I was 21, 22, he actually passed away. Wow. Yeah. How'd that make you feel? Oh, man, I went into a deep, dark hole. Holy Mm. shit. It was, oh, wow. Like, I look back on those two years after his death and I was a fucking nightmare. Mm. Like, the the guy I was dating at the time wasn't an ideal candidate for boyfriend. Um, (laughs) But at the same time, like, he had a serious situation to deal with. You know, like, you've got a, a a young woman who has dealt with abandonment her whole life child abuse mixed with homelessness mixed with you know mental health issues from a parent um to then have a completely broken family and then to have the only person in her life who finally gave her stability fucking upend and die it's like try dealing with that as someone in your early 20s like the guy didn't stand a chance at the same time though he was a shitty boyfriend um so between the two of us it was just a really fucked up two years and then um yeah, like it just it just cooked the relationship and it cooked us both as people, I think. Like we don't even speak anymore. It was so bad. So it's two years of hell. Mm-hmm. What gets you what's the end of that? What what gets you out of that hell? What what how do you like there's a lot of people out there in a black hole, especially at these times. Yeah. How do you get out of that black hole? Did therapy. you get did you get help? You got help? Therapy. I yep. swear, I swear by therapy. I think if you can find someone who works for you and have a great relationship with that person, like yep. I'm talking unended mutual figure of eight style trust um, whereby it's very clear boundaries about what they're there for with you and and why you're paying them. Um, If you're connected on a deeper level but respectful of those boundaries, therapy is the best thing you'll ever do in your life. I, I think a million every- percent agree. Yeah, it's. I had a guy named Chris Dixon, and he's a friend now, but mm-hmm. he was my therapist for a couple of years, and he saved my life. He's um, yeah. just from that whole mm-hmm. unending. Yes, he. That I get you. I'm here. That, it's like this insane <laughs> amount of trust that you put in this person, isn't it? It's, it's and you tell them everything, and you sit there and yeah. go, "Fuck, that just came out of my mouth." Yeah, like, yeah. No one knows that. <laughs> I know. I know. You're just like, "Woo, shit." Oh shit! This is like, yeah, you. I'm starting to sweat under my armpits now. It's everywhere. I'm just a puddle of water and dehydration. Um, yeah, I saw him for about eight years, and I'm not ashamed of that. I saw him eight years straight, once a week, um, and then it was on and off sessions thereafter. Like we just stayed in touch. Um, he actually passed away as well about um, three years ago now, which was I still like miss my therapist like you wouldn't believe like I much like yourself Brett that man saved my life Mm. um and it's hard because I know I the only reason I know he was married is because he wore a wedding ring but he never once spoke about himself he never once talked about who he was in our sessions because he knew that if he did it was going to be detrimental to my health because I'm always um, trying to help other people. Um, so he just would never talk about himself. Even when I asked him, how are you? He'd go, I'm well. Now let's let's start a conversation. You know, he would always put it back towards me. And um, 
you know, I when he died, I couldn't even I couldn't even send a bunch of flowers to his family to say, oh, like, thank you for sharing him with me. Thank you for sharing this person with me. Like, I get that, you know, he was paid to be there, but he he gave a shit. Like, he genuinely cared about my mental health and and where I was going with my life. He, you know, without him, I wouldn't have been able to be in the relationship I'm in. I wouldn't have been able to fight, you know, horrific bullying within the media. I wouldn't have been able to fight um, constant bullying in the workplace that I've received in many different um, work scenarios through even, even when I was in Bachelor and I was getting bullied on The Bachelor, he gave me um, ways to cope when I went into the house because he was like, we're not going to have contact, so here's all the ways that you're going to get by. And then he wrote me a letter that stated that the production had to give me um, uh, sessions with a therapist once a week or else they were going to be going against my own mental health. And as a result, I got to speak with the um, show's therapist once a week and she was incredible, you know, really supportive. And as a result, I was able to be very even keeled. I was able to stay on a really great path and not let my anxiety get the better of me. Um, When I did the show over in South Africa, I was dating someone at the time who was incredibly uh, emotionally and mentally abusive. Um, We did get physical later on down the track um, and... I would call him and we would do Skype sessions and he would help me through it at a time when I felt very alone and really scared. And, you know, he came to set one day and it was awful what happened on set. And, you know, I called him right away and we talked it out. And um, then again, like later in life when I was on another show and I was getting bullied really badly by my co-hosts, he was the first one to, you know, I'd call him and I'd leave a voicemail and he'd call me back and be like, let's book a session and let's let's work through this. Let's figure out where it's coming from and help you push forward. And, you know, I always told him I want to I want to do something more important with my life because I feel like it can't have all been for nothing. I can't have gone through all of this as a kid and I can't have lost as many people as I've lost and I can't have buried as many people as I've buried, not to have done something that actually matters. And so he was this person that would push for that and would work hard for that. So, yeah, I, oh, just. Amazing, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And to have that relationship with someone, I just feel very lucky to have had that time with him. And I just, I can't reiterate enough, if if you're struggling and you feel like you're not seeing a way out, like go to your GP, get a referral for an indefinite sessions with um, a psychotherapist, book in with someone and see them regularly. It will it will change your life. It will drive you into a new way. And if that person doesn't fit for you, I don't give a fuck. Find someone who does. Yeah. You know, find Great. a way to win. Find that person that you connect with and keep seeing them. It's so true. And oh. and I, I, you told me you weren't going to cry. Oh, <laughs> you got me, you son of a bitch. <laughs> it happens a lot on this podcast. I do. Oh, I should have warned you that at the start. Oh. So, but it is so true, and and I think it's really important to find the right person. I've I've seen a lot of different people over the years, but when I found the right person, I knew straight away. And like yeah. um, to to have the ability to do what they do, um, oh. they're a godsend. It's 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 unbelievable. And I completely agree with you. 
And I think that's something that we should shout from the rooftops. That, and mm -hmm. times like this where people are physically locked in their houses and they can't actually do anything, and especially if there's domestic violence and those sort of things oh. that they can't even get away from, um, people need to ring. People need to help. Um, a very good friend of mine, he, I, I rang him one night. He said, ring this phone number, which was Lifeline at the time. And um, they were amazing just on the end of the phone. I was never going to do anything stupid, but at the same time, I needed to talk to someone and people yeah. like Lifeline and those sort of things, um, you, they, they need to be touched. You need, you need I, to talk Yeah, to 100%. I completely agree. I'm, I'm big on Lifeline. We give them a shout out on our podcast all the time. So, in fact, if you're struggling now, 13, 11, 14, they are always there. And, and that's the thing. And there are people that are there. There are people that care. And I think that's what people need to understand. Yep. So during all this time, you mm -hmm. mentioned earlier that you found your parents, that you yep. found your mum and dad. And mm -hmm. you said earlier that you met them when you were 18 and then at, in, in your 20s, you sort of, they became your mum and dad. Tell me that story. Um, so when I was about, I met my adopted parents at, I met my adopted mother or my mother now, I just call her my mum. I met her at a workshop for acting. Um, it was Tom McSweeney and Dave Newman. It was a workshop with those guys and they do a lot of big um, uh, American castings. Anyway, her and I just clicked. Like she was just really lovely and she showed me a photo of her husband and I showed it around and like, look at how hot her husband is. Like what is happening? <laughs> Um, and she's crazy pretty, like crazy pretty. Uh, and then from there, we just grew into like a really sweet friendship. Like anytime I had a show on or was doing something fun in the industry, she'd show up, she'd bring her husband and they'd watch and, you know, she'd check in every now and again. When I broke up with the guy I was with, when my um, birth father passed away, she was the first one to message me and see if I was okay. Um, I had a cat for like 22 years and she was like the only stable thing throughout my childhood right you know 22 years with the same That's animal time. yeah I mean imagine being on the street like living in cars with her and she's there you know this cat was always there so when I had to put her down that was really hard and she was one of the first people to call and say Are you okay and what's going on and um was always very supportive and then um you know I, I dated this guy that was quite you know um, mentally and emotionally abusive, which I don't talk about very much because I don't want to slander his name, obviously, but the truth is that there was a very ugly relationship. Um, <clears throat> she was the first person besides my friend at the time, Mel Gregg, who sort of checked in and made sure I was okay. And I ended up staying at their place for like a week and a half. Um, I had a friendship at the time that broke down because of this guy. My relationship with my sister broke down because of this guy. It was oh, man, the choices I made while I was with him were just really unfortunate, you know, and even though I took responsibility for it with most of those friendships, they still broke down and they still fell apart because they were like, well, you made the choice. And I'm like, you're right. I can't, I can't, brother. I can't change it. All I can say is you're right, you know, and accept it and apologise. And if you don't accept the apology, then there's not much I can do about it, you know. That, that's all I can say is I'm not going to, I'm aware that I did it, and I'm going to avoid doing it in the future, which I have. Um, but she never held me to anything. Neither did Mel. They were really wonderful about it. And then at Christmas time that year, some really awful stuff had gone down with him and his family that was um, pretty, pretty disgusting. He 
told a lot of lies to his family, which caused them to say some pretty horrible things about me, um, which is neither here nor there because, you know, for them, maybe that was the truth. Maybe they did think I was that person, which, you know, whatever, no problem. Um, but we were sitting down at Christmas time and she said, um, Mike and I want to be your parents. And if you would let us legally adopt you, we would. Um, we want you to be our daughter. We never had kids and we never felt the need to have kids. Um, but we feel a connection to you that's really strong and we just love you deeply. We just want to help you and be there for you and see you succeed. And we were talking about it the other day and we realised, like, if you felt like you had a family to always fall back on and, you know, if things got really bad, you had someone you could call that maybe you'd feel more adventurous and more free to take risks because as a kid that doesn't have a family, you are very careful about the risks that you take. Yeah, of course. Um, and she was right. Ever since they've become my parents, I won't take shit from people who bully me and I stand up for myself and I'm with a man now who just is brilliant and kind and loving and supportive and now I strongly believe, like, it doesn't matter who you're born into this world with, it's who you connect with that are your family. Those are the people that, that matter the most. So true. So, yeah. Yeah. That, that, that must have been a pretty cool Christmas present, though. Oh, it was the it's best It's like Christmas being reborn, ever. isn't it, really? Yeah, it's yeah. Like... And, and it's funny. It's funny because I've had men and women throughout my entire childhood try to tell me that they're like my surrogate parent, and I've always been like, no. I'm sorry, but I've got parents and you don't get to say that. You yeah. don't get to take that away from them. Um, but with them, it's like, I don't know, they just, as far as I'm concerned, they they have the right to say it for some reason. I don't know. I can't describe it. I, I once heard a friend of ours, they, they adopted and they explained to their kid really early on that you weren't born in mummy's tummy, you were born in mummy's heart. And oh. I, I, I've always taken that to be such an amazing way to yeah. explain to someone about adoption. And that's exactly what they've done. They've, they've taken that and mm. you grew in their heart and then they took you on. That's pretty cool. That's a big fucking heart because I'm like almost six foot. So <laughs> that's, a lot of, that's a lot of heart. <laughs> I'm a big girl. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it'd be remiss of me not to ask you the question. Why the fuck did you go on The Bachelor? I got drunk with some girlfriends and thought it would be hilarious. <laughs> Literally, I'm not. At least you're I'm honest. Not, yeah, I didn't really, I didn't really know much about the show when I ended. Um, I knew about that Blake Garvey mess, and I thought oh, yeah. my girlfriends and I were like really drunk one night, and we were joking around, and they sort of said to me, uh, my girlfriend um, Blair at the time was like, "Oh, like if if it was him again, man, you'd give him a run for his money because you don't take shit from anybody." And I was like. <laughs> That would actually be kind of funny. So while I was white girl wasted, I got home and um, started applying online. And it was so funny because when I first got the call to say, yeah, we've accepted you on, I honestly thought I was being sold something. I thought she was a telemarketer and I was like, no, no, I'm not interested. I mean, she's like, no, Heather, we're from The Bachelor from Animal Shine. We want you to come on the show. And I was like, oh, she's like, did you apply? Like, do you remember this? And I'm like... <laughs> Like, yeah? Yeah, there was like some I, Jaeger bombs. There was this. Oh, my God. Yeah, a lot of wine. So much wine. Um, that's making me sound really bad, but, yeah. No, it's not. It's making you sound human. Oh, goodness me. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. 
Did you not know, like, obviously for someone that's been through so much and in the mental state that you were at the time, did you not think it was a good idea when they said yes? Well, I'd just come out of all this horrific shit with my, you know, the guy that I'd been seeing while my father passed away. We'd been to get, we'd been broken up now for three years when I applied, three or four years. Oh, post, okay. Yeah, um, I had been seeing my therapist regularly, like for a year and a half to two years. So I knew so you were in pretty good shape at this stage. Yeah, like mentally, I was quite strong and I was really focused on who I was. What was lacking was, you know, my career had kind of fallen to the wayside because I'd put all my focus into this guy that I was dating and looking after my father through cancer. So I'd not really put any effort into my acting career. My I was freelance producing for Disney at the time and working. Um, in finance for a massive media company. Um, So I'd always been working in entertainment to some degree, but, like, I hadn't really been chasing it the way I was. And so when when they accepted me on the show, you know, there's this stigma that you go on the show and it fucks your career up and you never work again. So are they all actors? No. So no, because there's a lot of there's a lot of preconceptions about these shows, right? No, like, no. What and you then see they'll find like, they'll find an ad that this person did when they were twelve. So that means they're an actor and all this sort of shit. Well, I mean, they could have said they had. I'm an actor, you know. Yeah, no, of and course. Yet, yeah, and there were heaps of rumors that I was going on there as a plant, and I was like, oh yeah. fuck off. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like I'm a good actor, yes, but I did not act wanting to be there. And all I can all I can say with conviction is. You know, I got drunk and thought it would be hilarious. And at the end of the day, when I applied, it was a time when, you know, you didn't make a career from going on reality TV. Your career got fucking crucified. Yeah, because you went on reality. reality. Yeah. Um, I, myself and Sam Frost are the ones who kind of forged the way for other young women to go on those shows and end up with a career at the end of it. You know, before us, it wasn't really a thing. You you went on there and you lived and died by the show and that was it. So did you, um, well, whilst you're on the show and stuff and then you come out of it and then you watch it edited, edited mm. that's a word, isn't it, edited? I think edited. I put too many, I put too many ads on the end. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but when you come out and you watch the edited version of it, yep. you sit there and go, like, what the actual fuck is going on here? Like, or did you know they were going to sort of set people up to be the good girl, the bad girl, the, the mm. creepy girl, the, the bullied girl, the, all that sort of stuff? Yeah, well, I wasn't aware that it was going to be like that because I, like I said, I'd know, I'd never experienced reality TV before. I just always worked in entertainment. So that side of the world was a complete null and void to me. And I'd always stayed away from reality TV because every career person I'd ever spoken to was always like, you will fuck your career up if you go yeah. anywhere near it. You'll never work again. And I was like, oh, okay, well, best not then. Um, and because at the time I wasn't working, I was like, well, I don't care. Like, it's only going to fuck <laughs> What is it going to fuck up? Like <laughs> a freelance production role? <laughs> There's no and, career to fuck up. So. <laughs> yeah. so I was like, whatever. Um, you know, I'd only been making a few short films and done like a few little guest roles. So I was like, ah, you can have it. <laughs> um, yeah. And they were like, oh, you'll never date again. And I was like, so? Like every guy I've dated has been a fucking bag of sand. So whatever. Um, yeah. But like in terms of how it's edited and so forth, it's like, I went in there very aware of the fact that um, everything they film, they can use however they want. And that was what I read in the contract. And the minute I read that, whatever you say they can use, on or off camera, I was like, 
I'm going to have to be smart here mm. and shut my fucking mouth. Because if I've got nothing nice to say, they're going to show it. Which in the past hour talking to you must have been very difficult. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what, though? To their credit, and, like, uh, they get, you know, reality TV people get slammed a lot. Yeah. But to the producer's credit, like, Sean and um, Janine and, and uh, Bronwyn, who were kind of the heads of all PR and production and everything else, to their credit, they really protected me and looked after me when the show aired because I obviously had to tell Sam why he wasn't meeting with any family. I had yep. to tell him um, why I was behaving certain ways in terms of anxiety and feeling very emotional in the house at certain times. Um, and they didn't air any of that because I asked them not to. So they didn't. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I just said to them, I really don't want you to air anything about my mother or me talking about her right now because, A, I'm not ready to talk about it yet, but, B, um, I'm actually, because she's missing at the moment and I don't know where she is, I don't know if she's going to see this. Yeah. And I'm scared for how it will affect her or what she'll do. I don't know how she's going to react. And when I had applied, we knew where she was. By the time they picked me and I was going to go on, I didn't know where she was and I was really scared. So, yeah. You had to have that in the back of your head the whole time you were on the show. Yeah, like I need to... I need to protect the family that I've been born into. And, you know, Bronwyn sat me down and went, Heather, we will never show it. It stays with us. So there is all this footage on the cutting room floor of me on a date with Sam telling him about all the different places where I've lived, about her mental illness, about who she is to me and how hard it's been growing up and about my older sister and everything else. But they showed none of it. So the season you were on was... Is that Sam and Sneziana? Yeah, Sam and Snez, yeah. They've uh, got kids now and they're married. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. you know, for all the people who said he picked the wrong girl. Boy, were you wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's quite funny because my wife's a massive fan of of, uh, of theirs. And she yeah. um, she says when you first see it come in, like when she first comes in, mm-hmm. she, she picked it on that night. Yep, that's the oh, one. Oh, 100%. You know. Yeah. And so, so during that whole process, you obviously didn't see that whilst you were on the show. No, no. I, I genuinely really, it was it was weird. Like I remember there was this moment where I went, oh, you don't like me anymore. Oh, really? Yeah, and I would say it to the producers. I was always saying to Janine who um, I just, I worship the ground Janine walks on. She's amazing. She's a really great producer. And I said to her, he doesn't like me. And she was like, yes, he does. I was like, I don't know. I think maybe I should get out of here. I feel like I'm intruding on someone else's relationship now. And so it how was far funny. was that? Halfway through. It was about oh, halfway through, okay. yeah. I. It was about three dates after my first date with him. Yeah. And on our first date, there's this moment that we had together that wasn't shown on camera, wasn't recorded, where we're in, we were in the, like the um, bachelor mansion kitchen, so his abode where he was staying. Yeah. And... Um, we were standing there and I just kissed him for the first time and I really didn't want to kiss him unless I was the last girl standing. I really didn't want to do that. But I kind of got the feeling that he didn't believe I liked him. So I was like, well, I'm going to have to do something here and <laughs> we can't have sex, so <laughs> better get my tongue out. Uh, <laughs> and I also, like, I didn't want to be overly sexual on the show because I didn't want young girls to think, well, that's the only way to get a guy to like you. So yeah. I was like, well, I'm kind of like in a weird catch-22 here. Like, what am I going to do? Anyway, so we're off camera and um, 
I just sort of said to him, I was like, look, I need to know something because the only way I'm going to be able to stay and move forward with you is if I've got the full truth. And he was like, Heather, if you ask me a question, I'll give you the honest answer. And I was like, okay. I was like, do you like any of the other girls yet? And he was like, yes, I do. And I was like, more than me. And he was like, no, equally. Okay, like, fair call. Okay, cool. And he looked me in the eyes when he said that, so I believed him. I was like, that's cool. I mean, him that he may have just been saying that because he had to because it's part of the show and yeah, I yeah. have no grudge to that, whatever. But to me, I was like, cool, great. And then I said, have you kissed anyone else yet? And he went really quiet and he goes, yes, and looked down at the ground. And I was like, who did you kiss? And he goes, Snajana. And I was like, oh, fuck. And I literally <laughs> felt like that. I was like, oh, fuck. And he goes, what? And I'm like, she's so hot. Like, <laughs> I want to kiss her too. <laughs> I was like, I can't compete with that. She's like. Oh, that's funny. And I just went really quiet. And he goes, have I fucked this? And I was like, well, it's not good. <laughs> and we both just went really quiet and we stopped touching. And the minute we stopped touching, and it was I initiated it, I stopped touching him. We were hugging in the kitchen and I stopped touching him. And the minute I did that, the minute I pulled away from him, I got home that night, they dropped me off and I went up to bed and I lay down after we finished filming and I just laid there and I stared at the, at the top bunk and I was like, yeah, I fucked this. I shouldn't have pulled away. The minute I pulled away, yeah. I knew that I basically said to him, I'm not okay with the process, you know yeah. what I mean? And there was a part of me that wasn't okay with the process and couldn't handle it, so. Yeah. So how long did you last? Where did you get to? Home visits, home visits. Okay, and that must have been tough. Yeah, it was fucking awful. So, and it was funny because, like, I'd said to him and the producers beforehand, I was like, just don't take me to home visits unless you're serious about me because it'll just fucking ruin me. Yeah. And obviously, ding, 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 ratings. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and I don't, I don't hold a grudge to that because at the end of the day, like, they've got a show to make. Of course know? they have. And that's what it is. It, it so, is a TV show, isn't it? When you're yeah, there. exactly. So, that, you know, you can't be mad at someone for making a TV show when that's what you signed up for. And have you um, seen him since? Do Have you been ever been in contact God, no. That would be like hanging out with a girl that you made out with a party once. You know, you, he's, he's a married man. That would be so uncomfortable. No way. So um, you're not inviting him onto your podcast? Oh, I would. Uh, in terms of, like, entertainment stuff, I would gladly chat with Sam any day of the week. Have him yeah. on a podcast, interview him, talk about his life, anything like that. I've spoken to him many times on radio, had him around, all that sort of stuff. Okay. But in terms of having some kind of off air off media relationship with him i just don't think that that would be appropriate yeah that's fair fair cool but i had really strong feelings for him mm. you know it'd be like it'd be a bit stalkery you know it'd be a little bit <laughs> there's a front page of a paper uh, yeah heather admits i'm a stalker um <laughs> no way like that's that would be so weird and i'd be weird anyway like It'd be weird for Snajana and I to be friends. It'd be so strange. It'd be like, yeah, I liked your boyfriend slash husband. Oh. <laughs> and here's my kids. <laughs> Which, like, <laughs> yeah, can I be godmother? <laughs> no, so awkward. So I, I have no ill feelings, but I would never be their friend. It would be so strange. So you left the, you left the Bachelor, and then mm. you went on to build a career in radio. Is that, is that the way that worked? Uh, half and half. So I wanted to get into acting stuff and I got very close to um, a couple of lead roles on Home and Away at one stage. Um, but it was really funny. There was this weird period there where I came off The Bachelor where Sam Frost and I were kind of like always going for the same jobs and getting really close <laughs> to the same jobs. And then she'd get them and I was like, oh, for fuck. Okay. 
So, um, yeah, and obviously at the time my feeling wasn't like, oh, that sucks. It was more like, ah, universe, you son of a bitch. <laughs> um, yeah, but I look back on it now and it's funny to me. Um, but, yeah, I was very close to a lead role on Home and Away on three different occasions. Um, I was almost written a role on Neighbours and then that didn't go ahead because I took the role in Queensland doing the breakfast show and I had a choice to make. It was either doing breakfast radio on the Gold Coast or waiting out for the role on Neighbours and because the role on Neighbours wasn't guaranteed, it was just something that was talked about but nothing had been decided. I was like, well, you know, a girl's got to eat so... I took the Gold Coast job and I, I wish I'd waited it out for Neighbours thing, not because, you know, I'm not grateful for the opportunity to do radio, but just purely because acting and, and filmmaking has been my passion. I will die loving, living and breathing, performing as an actor and making my own productions. Mm. I, will, I will live in that space to the, to the day I stop breathing. Like it's everything to me. And so, because we're based on the Gold Coast, so I used to listen to you on the radio. Did you yes, enjoy it? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty bad. No, it wasn't that. <laughs> no, it was actually, it was quite funny at the time because um, it was one of the first times where there was like more than the two people on the radio. And I think it was really clever the way they did it. Um, sure. And that's, well, now there's like 16 people in that breakfast show. There's like, there's heaps of them. Yeah, I heard. It's really, really weird. But anyway, we don't listen to that station anymore just because you just because you left. That's why. Aww. In, in, in protest. Oh, fans. <laughs> I didn't say fans. I felt really weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, that's a really good way to end this. Thanks for having that. Yeah, excuse Did me you, while um... I polish my nails and look at myself in the mirror for two hours. <laughs> Did you enjoy it, though? Did you enjoy radio? Um, I enjoyed aspects of radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because um, it's one of those things, obviously doing podcasts and stuff, um, as the sort of, I've been on this for about two years now, and you feel you get better every time you do it, and you, you become yeah. a lot more sort of, um, you can read situations and you can add bits in and do that sort of stuff. Whereas on radio um, with other people, I think the mm-hmm. longer you do that, the better you get it. Look at John Laws and those guys. Yeah. But, um, but at the same time, it's not acting. It's not being in front of the camera um, and that which is what your passion is. So do you sit there and go, um, yeah, it was good, it paid the bills, but fuck, I wish I hadn't have done that? Uh, yes and no. Like I'm really, like I can't stress enough how grateful I am for the opportunity of having done it because I'm very aware of the fact that there are a lot of young women out there who are killing themselves to get on radio because yeah. that's their passion. And I will never shit on the fact that I got that opportunity. Never, ever, ever. Because I'm very aware of the fact that I got that opportunity because of where I had been and what I had been doing at the time. So I will never, ever, ever shit on that opportunity, ever. Um, However, in saying that, me doing that show was a really great learning lesson because I learned that when a producer says to you, we want you to be yourself on air, what they mean is we want you to be a version of yourself on air. (laughs) They don't actually want you to be (laughs) all of yourself because it usually gets them into trouble with ACMA. Um, (laughs) um, And I think that was my biggest struggle was um, trying to be myself and be authentic for the young women of the Gold Coast and being you know, this role model that I always told them I would be for them and refusing to be anything other than that, but then also being told, you know, you're too much, you're not enough. Don't say this, but do say this. 
you know, laugh at laugh at his joke even if you don't find it funny. Yeah. Um, it was it, there was there were just a lot of contradictions that just fucked with my head so hard, you know. And then you know the whole social media aspect that now is becoming a part of radio, and it's like when I went into radio, there was no clear cut ground about social media mixed with radio, and so when I needed help, I felt like I was out on my own. But then when they needed something, I had to be there. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. So it was just a very hard area for everyone to navigate, I think. Yep. Um, that's my political answer. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> what? Shut up. Who said that? <laughs> Get out of my room. I didn't say that. That was, was that, so that, cat? That, that, yeah, that, that cat? That cat that's in the room. Yeah, you and your English, it's getting really good. Um, but also, like, I didn't, I didn't anticipate the fact that, you know, getting up at 4 a.m., because I'm a morning person and I don't get much sleep anyway. So for me, I just work. I don't yeah. care if I work. I didn't realise that, you know, that wasn't the same for other people. And so I naively thought that we should all just respect each other and be kind to each other 24-7 and it's going to be this big happy trust tree and we'd all have each other's backs. And that's just not the reality of the situation. You know, you've got three very different people in a room together who've never been best friends before and yeah. it's going to cause friction yeah, and you of course. be ready for it and I was not ready for it and that's the thing you put any three people in a room that don't know each other yeah. and yeah for the first 15 20 minutes it's like oh how are you doing and like yeah it's all good and everything and then someone will say something really like yeah I wouldn't and have reacted it, it kicks on you know just yeah, really of course. and you know if you listen to the show there are moments where we have had some big fights on air you know and I we bet you the producers had... were happy <laughs> Well, I mean, happy is a strong word. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's it's a very tough industry to navigate. And because I know acting so well, I know that industry, I know how to navigate it better. Yeah. You know, like on in acting, if you have a falling out with your, co- your co-star or you have a falling out with someone on set, you are not allowed to bring it to set with you unless it somehow serves the scene. You're not allowed. Yeah, yeah fair call. It is cut and dry. You leave your shit at the door and you come on and you do your scene, you do your role. If you don't like the director, too fucking bad. Shut your mouth and go on and you do your job. But in radio, there seems to be this attitude of, well, we're on a bus now, so you can't take down the billboards. Or like, welcome to radio. And it's just like, I was like, whoa, I'm not prepared for this. I am not prepared for this. I'm not ready for this at all. So. So do you remember the first time you saw your head on the side of a bus? I do. It was an awkward situation because I was literally standing. <laughs> I was standing at a crosswalk about to cross the road and the bus has come past and it was about to go through the orange light and it stopped at the red light. And I'm standing there and my giant head is facing me. And this woman to my, to my left has looked at me, looked at the bus, looked at me, looked at the bus. And I said to her, yeah, I really am that arrogant in everyday life. Uh, yeah. And she just laughed her head off and I go, I'd rather stand next to it than get hit by it. Yeah, fair So, cool. you know, we got to look at the positives here. She laughed and then obviously the lights changed and the bus took off and I was very grateful for that. But that was my introduction to having my face blown up to, you know, 10 times the size <laughs> it it's is. Quite, it's quite funny because that is one thing they do on the Gold Coast a lot is they like to uh, blow up faces on sides of buses and billboards oh. and all this sort of stuff. Oh. I don't think you see it in many more places around the world, but, uh, yeah, it's pretty funny actually. Well, here's a, here's a really uh, interesting tidbit for you, and I, I, I strongly believe, you know, what you put out there is what will come back to you because – Of course. Yeah, and I, I'd sat down the year before 
And I hadn't been specific enough about what I'd wanted for my career, but I thought I had. I'd written down, I want a well-paying job that allows me to travel. I want to be on billboards and buses. I'd written that down. Really? Yeah, I want to be on billboards and buses. Um, But I want to have a voice that helps people and um, gives them an outlet for the mundane feelings of their everyday life. That's what I'd written down. But I hadn't been specific about who I worked with and how and why and blah, blah, blah. And so the the three years that I was on air, it was just a, it was such a wild ride. It was just like so mixed of crazy and fun and happy, mixed with sadness and pain and anxiety. And, uh, oh, man, you name it, I experienced it in those three years. But I, it was funny. I went back and I found my, you know, where I'd written it down in my mood yeah. board. And I was blown away to see I'd written down billboards and buses specifically. And I was like, shit, I should have been more specific about that. You succeeded. Your mood board worked. It did. It really worked. Um, Yeah. How funny, though. Did you see the first photos that came out? I looked like I'd sucked on a lemon. (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, that tart. I didn't take that much notice, but I will have a look now. I'll go back and have a look and share it. That'll that'll be on the front of this podcast is Heather Mulman sucking on a lemon. Yeah. Yeah, I'll actually suck on a lemon and send you that photo and you can put it side by side with that one. Oh, beautiful. You know, who wore it better? So Um, you actually put that in writing now and appreciate that that photo. That'd be great. Yeah, of course. (laughs) So you then decided to go back on reality telly again. Uh, after doing the show, you when, mean? When did, when did you do, did you do I'm a Celebrity? I hosted that, yeah. I, I hosted that the year after, um, the year after I did Bachelor. So oh, I it was after that, Bachelor, okay. Yeah, I hosted that with Joel Creasy. So that show didn't exist beforehand and I think Joel had sat down with the producers or something and they sort of come up with the idea based on the UK version. Yeah. Um, and they knew that they needed a co-host for Joel and when we did our chemistry test together and I auditioned, we just clicked, like we got along really well um, and it was a lot of fun. So, yeah. So it must have been good seeing it from the other side though. Yeah, it was fascinating. <laughs> it was really fascinating. There was all this footage of like stuff that had gone down that never got used and we weren't allowed to play and I was like, oh, okay. And like our Up Late show was meant to be all the stuff that the first show didn't, didn't show. show. So I was like, oh, so we can have that. And they're like, no, you can't. I was like, oh, really? Yeah, and I actually kicked up a bit of a fuss about it. And as a result, it like, it caused a bit of friction because I kept pushing and being like, why can't we use this stuff? Like, this is gold, this is gold. And they were like, shut up, Heather, shut up, which is fair enough. You know, it's like the cheeky little upstart from The Bachelor thinks that she's got an idea of (laughs) what should be shown. And it's like, here's these massive producers from Channel 10 that have been working on it for like, what, five years now? And I walk in like, we should be showing it. No, bitch, you didn't receive a rose for a reason. Be quiet now. So, <laughs> oh, love it, love it. So then, what other, what else have you been doing? You been, you did some other radio with Osh. You did some. Um, mm-hmm. Now, now, what have you been doing the last sort of couple of years? Um, well, I've been working on my own podcast, which is uh, the one centered around mental health. Um, mm-hmm. And I started that purely because when I came out of radio, or when I was coming out of radio, I knew it was going to finish up soon, and I just felt like you know everything in mainstream media is just so false and I just wanted to put out something that mattered because you know there's only so long you can be a laughing track before you're like I can't do this to myself and other people anymore you know I just don't want to I don't want to perpetuate that vibe anymore um so that was the whole point of the podcast I didn't expect that it would do as well as it did I I thought it would be okay but it's been amazing and everyone's been like where's season two where's season two 
And I was meant to work on it every week, no matter what. Um, but then Matt and I fell pregnant um, halfway through season one. And unfortunately, I became very sick with um, a silent miscarriage. And so I couldn't continue on with the show. And I've only just in the last four months um, started recovering fully. It's been in and out of hospital. It's been nonstop visits to doctors, GPs, CT scans, body scans, you name it. I've pretty much been through it in the last four months, which has been hell during COVID-19 because I can't just go out and visit a friend and go for a walk, you know. Um, But in truth, I feel like there are no job opportunities for me at the moment. My manager has struggled to get me a job. Um, He's pushed really hard, which is really kind of him. Um, But, yeah, if if I'm brutally honest, and I do have a podcast coming out that is literally diary entries of what I've been through in the industry, Mm. um, it's, it's been very difficult to get work. Um, and because I'm not one to sit back and go, poor me, I don't have any money, I've just put my energy into either helping other people find their voice, which has been part of my mentoring work. Like I've been mentoring young people getting started in the industry and going, okay, here's all the things that you should be mindful of. <laughs> um, you know, passing down my knowledge so that they don't end up in the same situation as me, you know, protecting themselves legally and things like that. Um, and then also, um, you know, because I can't get a job on an acting show or something doesn't mean I have the right to sit there and go, oh, I can't get a job. So I was like, fuck it, I'll get a job off camera. Yeah. You know, I started doing some AD work and everything else and it's just been, I don't know, I've been in a bit of a lull at the moment in, in fighting my way out and I'm not embarrassed to admit that. I'm not embarrassed to talk about that because I think it's important that we realise just because someone's in front of a camera doesn't mean they're worth a million dollars. I agree um, a million percent on that one. Yeah. So I'm an entrepreneur, right? I just make shit happen. And that's just me. Right? That's the way I am. And that's what you're going to do. Uh, 100%. And so I, it, it's funny because I know you don't want people to feel sorry for you, right? I know, mm-hmm. I know you don't want people to sit there and go, oh, poor Heather, she can't get a job. Because you're, act, you're actually having a crack. So you're doing everything you possibly can. And there should be more people in the world that have a crack. And to yeah. me, it, it's it sort of hats off to you because that is something that is a big thing and a hard thing to do. Um, mm. And there's not many people in the world that can do it. I, I always, there's two types of people in the world. There's doers and there's gunners, yeah? There's a gunner mm-hmm. that I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and they do fuck all and all they do is I win. Whereas there's doers like yourself and me that just have a crack. Why not? Like yeah. if it goes wrong, yep, yeah, fucked up, next on, let's move Whoops. on. Yeah, and, okay. and the thing is, you learn from that. You don't do it twice. So, exactly. Oh, actually, I used to, but I don't anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so Thanks you to my therapist. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, moving on, it's not about me, it's about oh you. Oh, my God. No, I love that you add stuff in. That's very funny. That's so, very funny. A couple of questions I always like to ask people at the end oh. of sort of as we come to an end to the podcast. When, mm-hmm. when was the first time you ever recognised Sorry, when was the first time I was recognised? Yeah, like walking down the street and someone goes, do you remember? Oh, goodness. I don't know. Was it the lady with the head on the bus? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's me. Uh, I know it was after Bachelor, but I can't. 
No, and was it a good experience? Do you remember or you don't yeah, remember? Yeah, I mean, the entire year that I was on Bachelor and the year after were phenomenal. I mean, I never once got a little bit of hate. I was so, so blessed in that way. I was very lucky. And I'm not a perfect person and I was, I literally just kept waiting for the year and a half after the show for the other <laughs> shoe to drop. I was like, you're going to realise that I'm not perfect and I am <laughs> definitely a stinker at times. Like, it's a coming. Um, and it did. It eventually happened. It happened on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here Now. You know, they realised, okay, she kind of sucks at hosting because she hasn't done it before. And I got fucking crucified. Um, you know, it's it, nobody's perfect. It's, it's a waiting game really. But uh, in terms of, I don't remember the first time, but I do remember the most intense times. And mm. um, there was a period of time there for about four weeks towards the end of Bachelor airing where I kind of felt a little bit like Justin Bieber that, you know, I would go out for the night and my friends and I would be nervous because get a few drinks into people and you change. Yeah. And so we would have to be really careful in that way. Um, do I think I'm Justin Bieber? No. Would I like to think I'm as talented as him? Yes. <laughs> I think you are, yeah, definitely. Oh, and, and the fact that your new tattoo sleeve on your arm's looking amazing in that picture. Is, uh, I don't uh, want to get a sleeve. I've always no, wanted to No, don't do that. No? Oh, it's I one really of those bad decisions in life. Oh, is it? Oh, you're, you're over them now, remember? Yeah. Am I, though? <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> never. What's your greatest ever achievement in life? Oh, I think I'm yet to do it. I think oh, that's I'm a good answer. Do, yeah, I think I'm still yet to do that. Um, my I like biggest, that. My biggest so far would be overcoming being with men who don't treat me well. Yep. That was huge. Um, I feel very proud of myself for doing that um, and proud of myself for getting out of my own version of domestic violence and yep. proud of myself for taking a stand for it in some way or another. Um, but, yeah, in terms of the greatest achievement, I have not done that yet. And I, I hope it has something to do with, the, with being creative, acting or filmmaking in some way, but also um, financing and funding my own organisation that helps kids from um, being raised with parents with mental health. Like I would love to create some kind of sanctuary or place for them to go. And whether or not I get to achieve that in this lifetime, I don't know. However, that's my goal and I'm working towards that every day, like really busting my ass. Like every time I get an acting job, I put money aside in, a, in an account called the Maltman Lab and that money hopefully one day will reach a certain point where I can invest in, in a property that will help other people get out of, you know, what I went through as a kid. Love it. Okay, quick fire questions to finish this podcast. Are you ready? Okay, go. Yeah. Be quick. You've got to be quick. Favourite food? Pasta. Favourite song? All my life, I pray for someone like you. Casey and Jojo. <laughs> I was going to say, what's that? Uh, favorite place <laughs> in the world? Uh, Paris. What's next? Everything. Love it. Heather, <laughs> seriously, this is one of the best podcasts that I've ever done. I really appreciate you being so honest. So glad I made you cry. And I really, <laughs> I really do appreciate you being honest. As far as I'm concerned, you're an awesome human. Thanks so much for your time. Oh, thank you so much, man. And I like if I can leave it on one note, it's this. You have no idea if reincarnation exists. You have no idea if God exists. You have no idea if we do something after we die. So get off your fucking ass and go do something. That is the thing that motivates me every day. You don't know when you're going to die. You don't know how you're going to die. So get off your fucking ass and do something because life is not too short. It's quick.
Uh, mic drop. Walk out of the room now. I actually did. I just came back in. <laughs> oh, <laughs> crash of the mic. Thanks heaps, mate. I really appreciate that. That was, um, was, such, that was so much fun. What an amazing human. Thank you so much for listening today. I really hope that you enjoy the rest of the Podfire podcast. And I really hope that you enjoyed Awesome Humans. Reach out to us on Podfire and all the social media channels as well as BJ Macker uh, to reach out to me personally. Have a great day.